0: and went crazy on me, hitting me and pushing me down the street. A bypasser yelled at her to stop. She finally stopped and left me on the side of the road. I walked to a friend's house that was close by where they called the police. This is the event that brought me into foster care and changed my life forever. I moved in with another aunt and lived with her for about four months until I was removed from there because I was being treated very inappropriately, which is hard for me to talk about. From there, I moved in with Tabitha and that's when I was introduced to Jesus. That's when my life started changing for the better. I was placed in a loving Christian environment. At first... It all seemed a little weird. The answer to everything was God in prayer. Like, you got a headache? God. You hungry? God. You feeling stressed? God. But then something in my heart changed and made me realize maybe God is the answer to everything. I started going to Bible studies in small groups, and God has been teaching me many lessons that apply to my life and has changed my life. Before I knew God, I had a very bitter and cold heart because of everything I went through. It's not easy to admit, but a lot of me wanted revenge on my aunt that abused me. I wanted her to suffer like she made me suffer. But now instead of wanting to hurt her, I want to heal her. I pray that God will soften her heart like he has for me. One specific verse that speaks to me is from Ezekiel 36:26 that says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Since I've had the change of heart, my life has been better than ever. I've decided to live for God because everything is done for me. I know the road ahead will not be perfect, but God is, and I know he will be with me every step of the way.
1: Hi, my name is Destiny curtis Keelis. I am 16 years old. I accepted Jesus as my Savior with my whole heart when I was 13. Before I accepted Jesus with my whole heart, I would go to church and learn about him. I would pray and sing. I had the influences from my family members, but I wouldn't feel the true connection with them until I was 13. I went to a camp in California called Hume Lake. I was worshiping like I did at any church, and as I was singing that time at Hume Lake, I felt a connection I never felt before. As I was singing, I felt all the pain in my heart disappearing, and I felt free. After the trip, that was definitely when I started changing my life around. I started being more engaged in the Bible. Instead of just reading it to read because I loved reading, I started forming questions about the chapter and started writing notes and writing verses from the Bible that touched my heart. I started trying to pay more Um, pray more for praising God instead of just asking him for favors like I used to. I even tried paying attention to how I acted more and making sure I didn't cuss as much as I used to. As I started changing my life around, I felt God's connection even more, especially again when I was 15 in the summer. When I was 15 and younger, I'd been praying to move or live somewhere else because my home life was very hard and I needed to get away. Finally, God answered my prayer. Since I moved, I've been making more efforts to be closer, to God, and I've been making even more growth in my path with the Lord. There are many good verses in the Bible, but my favorite chapter is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup rains overflow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. This verse is my favorite verse because when I stray or know that the devil is getting to me, I read it, and it helps me understand and remember why I chose the Lord.
2: Good morning. Good morning. I'm Dawn. <laughs> um, how can I follow up them? <laughs> <laughs> 25 again. All right, I'm 45. Um, after a trying teenage years um, of living in a household with drugs, alcohol, mental abuse, sexual abuse. Um, I turned to drugs and alcohol myself as a teenager, Um, not really caring, hoping that I can just escape. Um, Eventually, late in high school, I I met the man of my dreams, and uh, we started dating, eventually got married. Um, You know, but life isn't perfect, and neither are husbands and wives. After a very trying situation, With my husband, I was filled with anger and vengeance, revenge. Um, I went back off the deep end, going back into drugs and alcohol, partying, not caring. Um, And uh, something in your heart kind of goes, you know what? This just isn't right. You know you shouldn't be doing this. This isn't for you. And and just wouldn't stop talking to me. And I, I kept trying to push it away and ignore it and uh he, God is even more stubborn than I am, so uh i I tried this little church that I saw maybe a year earlier, and uh the first time I came back in here it was you kind of know it's home you everybody accepts you and loves you, and you could feel that God is in here. Um, sorry Le- just learning. Learning about Jesus and God and his love. And, and just knowing that even though I'm not worth his blood, he still sacrificed his life for me. Um, sorry. Um, just getting involved with the, the small groups and the prayer groups. Um, the first time I actually felt God was one time in prayer group I was having a really hard time, and um, everybody was so loving, they came and and laid hands and prayed over me. And I actually felt the Spirit take over me, and that's when I knew that I am loved. Since then, God has been speaking to me more and just just filling my life with, with love and teaching me what it's like to know love. Since then, I've been getting more involved with the small groups and uh, going to school online to become a deacon and uh, just do whatever he leads me to do because he's in control of my life. Um, so when I when I feel trouble, I rely on Psalm 118, 5 to 9. When I was in great trouble, I cried out to the Lord. He answered me and set me free from my trouble. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere human beings do to me? The Lord is with me. He helps me. I win the battle over my enemies. It is better to go to the Lord for safety than to trust mere human beings. It is better to go to the Lord for safety than to trust human leaders. And that's my story so far. Yeah.
3: Amen. Amen. And I just love hearing about um, the enemy just tries to sabotage people's hearts and lives at a young age, you know? And we just heard three stories from three young people, all common threads, their home, their background, family, and just abuse. And then that usually just hijacks people for a long time. And kind of in Dawn's story, that's, that's where it got her for a long time. And now she gets to this stage in life and she realizes the truth and what it is, and she wants to go after it now, you know. And um, I'm grateful on both ends, but I can see just the, the evil, trapping, conniving, accusing way of the enemy. And he just loves to go out. The younger, the better. The younger, the better, you know. And those that are closest to try and take people down and try and never allow them to build trust in their hearts and in their lives, that's what he wants to go after. And it's so interesting that in order for us to really flourish and blossom in a relationship with God, it's all about a reckless abandon of trust. And the enemy just goes after that to sabotage it early on and to just ruin people. And just put them in years of just, I don't know if I can release it. I don't know if I should. It's, it's always been taken advantage of. It's always been treated the wrong way. So I just, I don't know. I love what the Lord is doing, but it just, it makes me angry, you know, and it, I'm not okay with the enemy continuing to just, it's on a mission on that all the time, and he's always been like that, and he's always doing it. And he's just causing for people to just rise up and trust him. And take steps of faith and say, he really is who he says he is, regardless of what has happened in people's life, and he's got away way put together the pieces. I don't know what it looks like, but he's got a way to do it. You know, he's got a way to do it. All 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here's why we're looking at this passage. This whole book, really. We'll get back to 2 Samuel at some time. We left David hanging. I <laughs> 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 <You> know. <laughs> That's a Holy Spirit blame. That's all. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll get back to David at some point. Um, good news is, he's about to, uh, he's about to inherit the throne. About to, he'll be king soon. But, um, you know, we're just at a season right now to where, uh, you know, our, our church family, you know, I think about our church family, the work that God is doing here in the And what's happening and what's playing out. We're just entering a new season of just transitions and just different things. And it's for the purpose of building us up. And creating a better foundation. So that, which I firmly believe, so that he can release and entrust us with more. Because he wants to. I believe that he wants. I believe that he wants to have his bride extremely beautiful here in Naugatuck. And not just our church. Other churches, he wants a beautiful bride here in this town. And he really wants it to grow in our state. I mean, let's be honest, our state is even just suffering. This is like, what, number seven, number eight on the list. I just saw this past week people moving out. They don't want to be here. It's just, it has all of problems. So we get that. And then in our part of the state, It has unique problems to our part of the state. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of darkness. But within that, there's an opportunity certainly to shine. There really is. And it doesn't just happen by good intentions. I can promise you that. Good intentions just will not get it done. In the fight of faith, it just doesn't happen. It's good to have good intentions, but it doesn't really win you anything. And for a church family, God has set up a system, a way of at least coordinating and putting together strategically people to help build up his bride so that way they could be entrusted with more. And we're headed towards that. Um, when you first do a church plant, like this one what like this church was. It was, hey, listen, we just, I think that this is what God wants us to do, so we're going to start showing up and having services. We'll meet other pastors, we'll try and figure out what's going on, we'll get a lay of the land, and um, we'll just kind of see what happens. And so he spent a lot of time really just trying to figure out if the Lord's hand is actually going to do anything with it. And. What has happened over time, it certainly seems like that the Lord definitely wants to do something. And to be honest with you, you know, what I found out over time, I think that in God's heart, I, I don't know if there's things like, is, is he in this? Is he doing that? Is he in this? Is he doing that? I, I've come to find and understand his heart a little bit better. I honestly think that if he's put something in somebody's heart, if he's placed it there, then you move in it, he's already in it. It's just, it already is. And you can't even judge it by the immediate and what it might look like right away. And sometimes that's what we like to do. You just make a first move, and then like, if an idea got shot down, or... Uh, a relationship got rejected or it got negatively perceived or nobody acknowledged or gave recognition It's like, oh, that that wasn't the Lord's will. And it's like, no, that's not how God works. If he's put something in your heart, and that's the big if, right? If he's put something in your heart and he's put it there, you move forward on it until you see which way he's going to bring it. And in a lot of ways this is the way that this church family has developed. And so, now we're coming to a place where I definitely believe that God continues want to build up, he wants to build up his bride beautifully here, he wants to build the church family here. And people need to be in specific places. And gifts need to be in specific places. And um, people need to have an ability to just have what God is doing inside of them just shine really brightly. And one of the the things that can hurt a church plant is you so often see one face and one figure a lot. Namely mine and this one. That's not beneficial long term. Like it helps in the short term, but long term, that's not helpful. That helps to create a culture around one person and that's not good. And that was never the intention. The intention was to always build up and put together a church, a family, a body of individuals. They say, this is my church. I contribute to this. This is my family. It's not so-and-so's or that person's or it was never the intention on that. And so it was always the intention to build something beautiful and collaborative and something that you could just look at and see and be like, man, the face of God just shines on that place and you can see just all different parts of his nature just coming out of it. It's very hard to pigeonhole that church because you just have him being displayed in so many different ways through so many different people. Does that make sense? And so we're like entering into that season where that's going to happen. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at biblically, there is somebody who was also in the same season, the same type of transition, and it had to do in the same setting. There was a young guy. He had to go to churches, specifically a couple, and he had to kind of do and navigate the sort of place that we're in right now. And Paul was basically telling him what to do. He said, hey, listen, here's what you need to do. And I think it's super wise and important for us to spend some time looking at, reading, and praying through the wisdom of the Apostle Paul when he directed Timothy as far as what to do. Does that make sense? And so we'll spend some time in 1 Timothy, we'll look at 2 Timothy, and we'll look at all the super wise advice that he gave him. And will help give better clarity to things like church leadership. Like, how, how should a church run? How should people communicate? Who exactly are pastors? Who exactly are leaders? She mentioned we a deacons. What are deacons? How does that work? Why are they even there? What is even needed by titles? Do we even need them? Do we not? What is like a way to look at all of this? And then it's like, well, what about people that What about prophets and evangelists and these other titles? What do you do with all of that? And so I think it's, I'm looking forward to walking through all of that together and studying it and seeing what the Spirit leads. And I have a sense of what He wants to do here, but it's something that we all have to talk about together and the Spirit has to just make clear to all of us and then we move forward on that. Right? Because this isn't a business. This is not an organization. This is a church. And churches are multifaceted. It's a family. It's an army. It's a seminary. It's a hospital. It's multiple parts. And we're all building towards one common end goal. Which is to make disciples, baptizing them. Equipping other people, changing families, loving other people as God has loved us. That's our common goal. So it's like, okay, how can we get everybody together to like make that happen and get it done? So we'll spend some time with First Timothy. Sound good? All right, let's look at it. First Timothy. Let me give you a little bit of background on him, nothing too extensive. Wrote down a couple of highlights about this guy, Timothy. Like I said, he was a younger guy, and he was he became a Christian because of Paul. And that happened in Acts 16. Paul was just going through, planting churches. That's what he was doing. um, On missionary journeys. He would go out and he would tell towns, groups of people, and basically they would just start churches. And so this young guy, Timothy, was there. His dad, his dad was a Greek, his mom was a Jew. So you have like a kind of mixed relationship there. And so that's already difficult. Already difficult. Because in that day and age, Jewish people kind of carried more weight, more significance, and they were just thought of more highly than somebody who was not Jewish. And so you have this young guy, Timothy, and then Paul comes around, And for whatever reason, we're not told, we're only told a little bit, that his grandmother and his mom helped to grow him up in the ways of the Lord. And so, what stuck out about him? You know, was it, was he a really good speaker? Could he really, like, get other people to rally together around him? Uh, What were his talents? Was he like? I, I don't really know. The Bible doesn't say. But there's something about him. When Paul showed up to the town, he said, hey... We're going to take him with us. I'm taking him with us. Family's like, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. And in fact, what happened is because he was not Jewish, circumcision was like a big deal. And so when he would go around to churches and plant them, the the Jewish people that were there would be like, listen, you know, I'm not listening to you unless you're circumcised. I'm just not even. Because if you're not, like you disrespect Moses, you know? And, and that was always the beef. That was always the struggle. It was talking about Jesus Christ and then the old covenant and circumcision and laws and Moses and Abraham. So there was like this freedom in Christ, but yet there was all these laws and traditions and definitely a chosen people from Israel. And it's like it was always difficult to try and navigate that and figure out how people should handle that. And this young guy Timothy, you know, who's single, he says, you know, at that time he's probably, you know, early 20s, late teens, probably when he first meets Paul. He's like, yeah, I'll get circumcised. Let a young person prove that they really belong to the Lord. They say, yeah, I'm, I'll get circumcised at 18, 19 years old. Must be pretty serious. So, just giving you ideas. Of, about, of his level of dedication. Um, another interesting thing about him, he had frequent illnesses and infirmities, the Bible calls it. It came up frequently in his life. And so he was suggesting you know, by Paul you know, to take some wine and take some time to himself and, and just make sure that he would do something about that, somehow to handle that. Another interesting thing about him is that he apparently struggled with discouragement. Or at least Paul thought that he might get discouraged a lot from helping to form together and create um, a healthy place for these churches. I think Paul knew what he was talking about. It can be, be super discouraging, I'll tell you what. Oh my goodness. It can be super discouraging. You meet so many people and you make so many connections through the years. And, you know, it it becomes, and honestly, it becomes, like, the hardest, unusually, like, pastors' wise leadership-wise. Because they want to make close connections and be close with people and, like, feel like they can trust people. And then a lot of times when that happens and they feel like it just is like getting someone that can trust someone, people often go or some kind of dramatic event takes place or something unfortunate happens. And it's very easy to get discouraged on just a whole spectrum of different issues. And so Paul is telling him constantly, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Stay true. Stay true to what I told you. And so that's just a little bit of a snapshot of who we're dealing with and what this young guy Paul is like. Pretty interesting life, pretty interesting character. And he has been in charge. This young guy who's not married, he has been in charge of establishing and building a strong and healthy foundation with these churches. Isn't that interesting? I think that's really interesting. It almost flies against every thing that is kind of taught and told like nowadays. You know, you got to be married and have some kids and have a certain amount of years and have a certain amount of things. And uh, he doesn't fit into that mold. And honestly, when you're around the church for a long time, You find a lot of times that the most impactful and just strong and victorious people, they never really fit one particular mold. They just didn't. But they did figure out how to respond to the Lord's heart and have victory in Him. Those are the ones that the Spirit advances and He can entrust more to. Alright, so let's look at this stuff here. So he's going to help Paul, uh, Timothy understand how to manage the ministry of the local church. How to manage the ministry of the local church. Here's what he says to him. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Sometimes you're going to hear that phrase used by people. A son in the faith, a daughter in the faith. He's my father in the spirit. Uh, He's kind of like my mother in the Lord. That language is coming from this concept that we just see played out right here in verse 2. Some men and women that the Lord will introduce into our lives... They're going to really help to shape mentor, mold, and guide us and build us up in really significant, mature ways. And if you get around those people, don't, like, get away from them. And they might say things you don't like. They might make you feel uncomfortable. They, they, you might have different personality traits. There might, you might have every reason in the book to stay away from them. But I'm telling you, if you get around them, don't leave them. They're invaluable. Because if you embrace relationships like that in your life, what happens is the Lord starts to do work, and it's like, you know what? That's really just, he's kind of like my spiritual father. He's like my spiritual father and Lord. That's like my spiritual mother. That's my spiritual sister. Like, we're not related. Moms, you know, but man, there is just God has just done a work there. That's just my spiritual sister. And God just does that just with He doesn't do it with every relationship. There are just some just unique ones that are just really special. And that just kind of gives a joy to my heart to know that that God has people like that around us. If we just stay around his people and around community and we stay close to the things that God is doing, he brings those people in, in through our lives. I'm excited about that. That just again reveals his heart towards us of what we need. And just too often people just bail out because they just have like we discussed earlier trust issues with people and they feel uncomfortable and they just you know it's hard there. But I can tell you this a lot of the good work that God wants to do in your life and in my life the plan everybody say the plan the plan is to involve other people to get that done. You will gain and I will gain victory. Peace, maturity, understanding, revelation from the Spirit Himself as we walk in fellowship with Him. And we just walk in surrender. The relationship will grow. There are some unique things to our lives that other people need to be in on for breakthrough to really happen. I'm telling you, it is true. I'm telling you. I've got all that I own on it. It's not a lot. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, it's very true. And I think it's important for us to realize that and understand that. There are some things that we won't see significant breakthrough on, and we won't really know or understand about God's heart and his nature until we let other people in to those places. A Sunday morning won't get it done. A pastor won't make it happen. A worship leader won't do it. A song won't do it. Somebody else's presence. And God has specifically designed it that way. So we can't be self-sufficient and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, grunt and bear it, and make it happen. That's not the way of the Lord. It's just not. So, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what Paul says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes, rather than godly edification which is in faith. I hope that you see right here, Paul's telling him, listen, go back to Macedonia, which is an area, and then he specifically says, go back to which church? Starts with an E? Ephesus, right? Ephesians, right? That's where he tells him to go back to. He says, go back there. Which is interesting, that was the place that Paul spent the most time at any church was at Ephesus. And that's where you get the book of Ephesians. And that's actually where he had the, the closest like heart ties. Their like farewell, goodbye was like really difficult. They were crying on the beach, you know, it was just like a whole thing. He had invested so much. So he tells him, he says, Listen, go back there. And he tells them, Go back there. Why? He says, Go back there so that you can tell some other people that are there, charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. In other words, people had come into the church, and they wanted to argue. They just wanted to argue. Man, they're arguing about Moses, they're arguing about the Old Covenant, they're arguing about sacrifice, they're arguing about obedience, they're arguing about grace. This group is trying to say the right way to do it, and this group over there is trying to figure out how to do it. It's just it's divisive. And Paul's like, listen, I already went there, I laid it out for you, I explained it to you, and you already know it, Timothy. As a young guy, you've got it. And what a charge. Can you imagine if you're Timothy? Apostle Paul just told you hey, listen, set these guys straight. That's quite the charge. Can I tell you that in a church setting, there's times and places for that? When things invade and they come through and it's like, man, it's not like This person is not, these people are not, this is just, I don't know. know, And listen, I don't want to go, we shouldn't be doing it about other churches like that we're not a part of, that we don't fellowship with regularly, that we don't know. Don't do that. Take it. Most oh, introspective look at our own church family, what happens, the people that come through and what they say. And if you just get a sense that things are just off, like, I don't know, anytime they're around, there's just an argument. It's divisive, they're making problems. And I don't even know if people do it intentionally. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's just, just problematic people. Especially, Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy addresses this because this had to do with doctrine. With what we think about God. How we see him. Because that's the most important thing. That's what A.W. Tozer said. The most important thing about your life is what you think about God. And Paul's like, listen, I gave you the gospel so good and so clear and so pure. Don't let them come in and mess that up. I can imagine Timothy reading that being like, well, that's good. How am I going to do that? Do you understand like how, how, how much confrontation that involves? And the type of problems that that could lead to? I think Paul knows full well. He's saying, listen, Timothy, now is the time to man up. Woman up. Stand on what you know is true. Address it. Just don't shrink back. Have a voice in this and be loud on it. There's times for that. Do you hear what I'm saying. This is what he's telling them to do. It says verse five. Now the purpose of the commandment. That's an even stronger word, right? It's given a commandment. He's like that. I don't think. I think it's a good idea if you talk to them and kind of address this issue. It might be a problem later. Paul says, "Listen, this is a commandment. I'm telling you, do it and get it done." Verse 5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor the things which they affirm. Paul's saying, listen, they just want to come in here and just start talking and teaching, but they don't even know anything. But they want a platform, and they want to talk, that's, like, very common, by the way. And I can tell you it's, it's very common, especially in small church settings. Something you have to be keenly aware of. Um, yeah, you just have to be aware of it. You just have to be aware of it. You have to be careful, right? You have to be careful. Because people are just always just trying... You know, people are just always searching for a way to just assert themselves and try and get some sort of authority and power and just make a name for themselves and do things. And they don't care if it's on a big scale or a small scale. They just want it. And Paul's saying, man, listen, like you see me. I've given my whole life. I, I do it all for free and I do it all for free all the time. This is a sincere heart. This is sincere faith. I'm not doing this for any other reason because God has entrusted this to me. And if I don't, I'm feeling in the assignment that God has called me to. That's it. So, verse 8, he says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners. For the unholy, profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. You can see here how Paul is using his authority. And he's not using it to abuse or oppress anybody. He's using it to preserve the truth of the gospel. And if there's any ever time that a church leadership should ever use their authority, it should be for that purpose, to protect others and to preserve what God has entrusted in the good news that he's given. Never to take advantage, never to fill with shame, never to manipulate. And unfortunately, that's just usually what most people do. And he says, listen, the law has value. Because that's what they are arguing about. They are arguing about the law. And they say, listen, you need Jesus Christ, and you need to accept him into your life and into your heart. But if you're a man, you also need to be circumcised. You need to do both. And if you don't, you're not really truly a follower, and his grace doesn't cover you. So that was the big debate. And that's why Paul was saying, hey, listen, there's value to the law... God gave it. It made us able to see what kinds of things are wrong. God clearly says there's no room like to murder somebody else. That's not okay. It's not okay to kidnap other people. Not okay. It's not okay to take advantage of other people. Not okay. It's not okay to covet what somebody else has because you think you deserve it. It's not okay. That's the law helps us to show. It helps to show that in God's heart there are some things that are not okay. He calls that sin. It's sinful. And he's saying, but listen, Jesus came to fulfill all that. Because you're never going to get it all done and behave perfectly. And you're never going to perform perfectly. So Jesus had to fulfill that law. And the curse that actually brings with it. Because the curse that comes with the law is this weight that you always have to perform perfectly. And if you don't, God won't hear you, he won't bless you, and he won't move. Who likes to be in a relationship with somebody else where you feel that pressure? I'm pretty sure nobody does. Hey, listen, unless you like act nice to me, talk nice to me, unless you do this for me... I'm gonna withhold. I'm gonna withhold, and I'm gonna like put you in probation or something. But you're gonna know I'm mad. And and for so many of us, that's just like the way you've always done life. I've just found with so many people that's just the way it's always been. Was well, there some other way to do it? Like I. <laughs> Yeah, there's a total other way that involves forgiveness and seeing other people as God sees them. It's just, it's crazy. It's life-changing. And God wants to break that. And but the law, the focus on the law and the focus on doing perfect performance, it's like it flies in total contradiction and just it hijacks the work of grace that's happening. That's why Paul is saying, "Listen, the, the law is good, and God gave it, and He gave it to reveal part of His heart and what is expected with a holy God. But it's incomplete because then Jesus came and He fulfilled it, because that's the other part of His heart is that He loves us. You know, we couldn't handle that weight, and He provided a way. That's like good, right? Yeah, it's like really good. Yeah, and and and." We're going to finish up right here. He continues this thought. Because Paul, I think he gets caught up in what he's telling Timothy. He's not just like spouting off, like just popping off. and He's just like, get these guys and take care of them. His heart is in it. And it resonates with him in verse 12. He says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. It's like it just shifted now. Like, He's talking about the grace and law and God's favor and his sacrifice and his selflessness and and now he's just being reminded about how God did that in his own life. It's just shifting now. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Got that highlighted. Because it wasn't just for Paul. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He says, "This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus, he came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy, that in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Here's what that means. What he's saying is, he's not saying, listen, I'm an apostle, just get it done. I'm an apostle. The apostle has spoken. Timothy, get it done. The words of the apostle, make it happen. He's not just relying just on his authority, right? It's just just not about, ah, we just do these things, you know? It's just not about names and positions and just titles and these things. It's still about hearts and relationships and people. And building towards maturity and growth in Christ. And so he's listening, he's saying, the whole reason that God has allowed me to even be in this position is to demonstrate the type of grace and love that he wants to lavish on other people. That people are not disqualified from his love, from his grace, and from his usefulness of what he wants to do. If they accept who he is, and follow his voice and make his name supreme in their life. They're going to be living in this grace and experiencing the same overwhelm, of disbelief of what God can do. And he's just like, man, I was like the worst. You pick an apostle of a church, like you don't really pick somebody like Paul who's known for persecuting and like killing other people. He doesn't have a great rep, really. But in God's kingdom, he's like, you know what? That's actually perfect. Perfect. What a loser who is so far off and nobody expected anything from. You know what? He's just going to respond. I know he will. I just love that. That's at his heart of hearts. That's how he feels. And that's what should be driving the church is that same heart. So no matter who we come in contact with, that's a reality that people can live in and not just here on a Sunday. But the people like at church are just telling and sharing people with that in class, at work, online, like wherever. They're just like, man. God just has an amazing plan and call on your life. Just believe in him and give your life to him. You want to debate theology and all this other stuff? Like, whatever. I'm just telling you. He just does. And he's just good. So here's the charge that he leaves to Timothy. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare or the good fight, having faith in a good conscience, which some having rejected, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, two guys, I guess, that have just shipwrecked themselves. And look at this language. Whom I delivered to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. I mean, Paul is not playing around, like, with the church. Like, he's just not playing around. And to be honest with you, I don't think that the father is playing around with the bride and his church when he goes to present his bride to church to his son, Jesus Christ. We're not playing games. This is like serious business here. We're waging war in the heavenlies. And nobody is disqualified. The only way we disqualify ourselves is if we just say no to his voice and we decide not to respond. That's how we're out. And the spirit of truth just says, you know what, I I just can't reside there. I can't do what I want to do there. It's not going to happen. And the spirit of truth just goes to another person. And you just see a hungry heart, maybe that just has all this other stuff, but man, they're hungry and they want to move on and grow. And the spirit says, I'm residing here for a while. I can be stewarded well here. And so I said, what I, what, I, what I want to ask the Lord for us this morning is to have those hearts and to come with Him with those hearts. That the Spirit would just look over just our hearts and be like, yes, I can reside there. I can have my way and do what I want to do there. And more of my fullness I can just reveal there. Because this thing is, man, it's a fight, right? It's a fight but it's a good fight and one worth fighting. It really is. And the thing that excites me about our fast is that everywhere throughout the Bible, we never read Daniel. We didn't get to it this time. Um, But it's said in Daniel there that, you know, he did, he prayed and the angel came and 21 days for the answer to come. And heaven said, the angel said, "Hey, listen, I heard your prayer day one. I intended to be there. The message was sent out. I intended to be there. But I got detained. I got held up. The prince of Persia, he held me up. He delayed me. It's like he had him in a bear hug or something, you know, or I don't know. like they were just wrestling like he, he held them up. 21 days. And then he said that I had to get Michael, the other archangel. He had to come like release me just so I could give you an answer. The amount of angelic activity and spiritual activity that happens during a fast is significant. We're entering into our final week. That's definitely part of a good fight of faith. And I just want to encourage you to just press in on this final week. You may have heard nothing either the entire fast. And it's interesting how a lot of fasts in the Bible you didn't hear anything until the last day. And you might not as well. You may have heard a bunch already. That's awesome. But the interesting thing is, this is definitely a fight of faith. And that Daniel idea and fast and the picture we get to see from heaven, it really highlights the point of persistent prayer. Just staying engaged. Staying engaged. It's remarkable to me that an angelic archangel could be held up by the enemy and his forces so he can't deliver a message. That's like mind-blowing to me to where he needs to call on another one to come help. And what happens is our prayers... Listen. Our prayers... Make that whole process happen. God uses everything. God could come preach like this Sunday. It'd be way better. (laughs) Amen. Way better. He could deliver a message. Way better. He could be way stronger than any angel. I'm just going to, like, there's no battle with, like, God and Satan. As I was reminded this week, like, will look cross-eyed at the devil and it's over. It's not an issue. But there is an issue. There is a struggle. There is a fight in this spiritual realm with the angelic beings and the supernatural. There just is. God is on the throne. He already knows he's in ultimate control. He, he's amazing. Just amazing but he has chosen to use every created being for his purpose for them to fulfill their part. He's chosen angels to deliver messages. He's chosen us to pray from our heart and and, and pray back things he's put in our hearts so the angels can move and bring messages. And we will get caught up in what somebody said about it. Or how we're discouraged that day. I'm not downplaying those things. Like those those are significant, but I'm saying like do you see the effect that it has on the battle at hand? They hijack a lot of places where maybe they shouldn't. let's thank God for this together. Because we live in a new covenant, right? The law is like, it's been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled. We won't carry the weight of that. Perfect performance. See you later. Jesus took care of it. But at the same time, right? Faithful obedience. Grateful response. Partnership. And actively abiding. Hello. Right? It's still there. We're not like off the hook at all. But we're definitely off the hook from a weight we can never carry. So Father, we just thank you for the blood of the new covenant that covers us, that washes us clean. We don't even fully understand what that means all the way. Continue to reveal it to us. continue to remind us more about your grace that is just poured out and lavished among us. And sometimes we don't even, we don't acknowledge it, Lord, or we just think we're we're in a bad place with you, Father, or you're in a really bad mood, or I don't know, Lord, our minds just go crazy places. And your grace, Lord, covers us. And we just thank you for it. We thank you for the forgiveness. And you've called us to be that forgiveness in the world around us. That's what we're called to live out. And so I pray that uh, we take that seriously. We'd reciprocate that. We'd make phone calls. We would text people. We'd try and set up a meeting with somebody we need to just forgive and get a hold of, if possible, and just do it. If it's not possible, Lord, um, I pray that whoever needs to just continue to offer prayers of just release of offense and hurt, that people would do that. Because we drink the cup of forgiveness that we receive, and there's no way we can hold on to against other people. So thank you that you've done it for us, Lord. Show us how to do it to others. So we take and we drink. And God, we thank you for the bread of life. During this fast, Lord, we're more hungry for your voice and for your word. We know we don't just live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. And we take it seriously, Father. Release more understanding. You you said, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and lead us into knowledge. So we ask for more of that. Increase it. And may we not be so puffed up with knowledge that we're lacking in love. And may we not be so filled up with love that we're lacking knowledge of where to draw lines in, in hard places. And so we just thank you for the bread of life that feeds our souls and nourishes our spirit. So we take and we eat. 104. Let's stand and close. And prayer. I really wanted to sing, but it's pretty late. <clears throat> God, I thank you for what you have done in Paul's life and Timothy's life. All these people we're going to read about, Lord. And it wasn't just for them. Your love and your favor. It's not just for them. It's for anybody that will respond. And I thank you for that, Father. Teach us and show us how to bring that to the world around us. Show us how to do it and what it looks like, Father. We just Sometimes we just don't know, Lord. Just don't know. Show us what it looks like, Father. As we spend time Refresh our minds and our hearts with your heart towards us and how you feel about us, Lord. changes everything. So we love you, Father. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. I pray that we would just declare war on anything that tries to come into our mind and our hearts that's just not from you and not about you. I pray that we just declare war on those things in our life and we wouldn't be okay with it. And we'll struggle and we'll fight pray that we wouldn't stop until we see the mind of Christ truly being victorious. Thank you, Father, we can find strength in you. Thank you, Father, that you're going to help us through. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, we got a bunch of legal fast food downstairs.